0: Welcome back to the Act 2 podcast, a podcast for the real-life working screenwriter. I'm Tasha Hugh.
1: And I'm Josh Hallman.
0: And as a reminder, Act 2 is a network and support group for the everyday working screenwriter, which this podcast is just one of the cool things we do. And one of my other favorite cool things that we do is our Act 2 mentorship, where we have partnered with Coverfly.com to every month pair one up-and-coming writer with a professional screenwriter in our Act 2 network for a career-focused mentorship. So next month in September, our Act 2 mentor will be Monty Bennett, Mr. Bennett, as I like to call him, a TV Mm. and feature writer who I came up with actually as an assistant, which is very cool. Um, He's hanging out with us today to talk about what it's like to be in a TV writer's room. Now, again, if you're interested in a career industry mentorship, follow Coverfly on Twitter and on Instagram. Follow me Tasha 3.0 on Twitter or Story Thursday on Instagram,
1: and me Josh Hallman on Instagram and Joshua Hallman on Twitter.
0: And also definitely take a look at our episode where we announced the mentorship a few months ago, and there are a lot of details in there about just what the mentorship entails, how to use it, and most importantly, how to apply to it, which is all through Coverfly, so check that out. Yeah. All right. So today we are going to talk about what it's like to be in a TV writer's room because.
1: Hang on, what? One second. Welcome to the fucking podcast, Monty. <laughs> <laughs> Thank Thanks. you for being here. <laughs> Thanks for Sasha, having me. I never talk, right into that. business. <laughs> never talk. Never. Ne- okay. I'm sorry. Go ahead.
0: Actually, Josh is right, Monty. Tell us about yourself.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I thought
0: I was getting off scot-free. No.
2: Um, we want to talk, talk
0: about you. Let's let's hear. Like, what are you working on? What kind of rooms have you been in? And also, um, what are you doing now?
2: I've, I've been in mostly genre rooms. I had two uh period piece specs, uh, Land at production companies. I'm kind of all over the map. I've also ghostwritten on right now, right now I'm writing for a i can't talk about but it's a very big um it's for an a-list writer very big franchise so that's a little bit about me oh and um and my alexander graham bell biopic is uh trending on the blacklist at the time of this recording anyway
0: money is a huge history nerd
2: i do love history
0: all right enough about money all right (laughs) let's, let's go back. Let's paint a picture of what daily life is like in a writer's room, because Mani, you have actually been in writer's rooms with real people. I've only been in virtual rooms. So I think (laughs) we can talk about the difference between those as well. And I kind of really want to start with basics. So like, what time did you have to wake up to get to work? Where was the office? When did you have to be into the office?
2: I mean, I think a pretty general starting time is 10 AM for everyone. And then, you know, at 10, it, it, I guess it depends on the room, but I'm pretty sure industry-wide there's, like, shoot the shit time, like, Mm -hmm. 20 to 30 minutes of, like, just, like, let's not talk about story right now. Let's just get to know each other. Like, let's just download whatever happened last night on The Bachelor or whatever. And then you actually... I would say 10.30 is, like, really when you get into breaking story.
0: Yeah. For Zoom rooms, that is cut much shorter. (laughs) There's not as much... Uh, back and forth because mm-hmm. it's, we were at home all night <laughs> and now we're in our PJs in the morning back at it so there's really not a lot of back and forth though with a good showrunner the idea is to just let's talk about what you plan to do on the weekend it, it is I think I think revving the room up and just like getting everyone relaxed before you dive in. What does the room literally look like? Like, is it just surrounded by whiteboards, post-its? Does it look like a crazy wall for writers? What does it look like?
2: Yeah. Um, my experience has been, there's always at least one or two huge whiteboards. On uh, on Swamp Thing, we actually put cards up on on windows, like like we were in the social network or something.
0: <laughs> Did you run out of space or was it just that's it just was we were just
2: just exploring we were just exploring (laughs) you know we liked uh there were two i think two huge whiteboards and they were taken up by i think uh, like things having to do with the season and season arcs and we just really didn't want to uh we wanted to be looking at everything
0: Mm -hmm.
1: and then so you've got this nice little creative environment going you've got the whiteboards headshots cards like what is the like what's the schedule like inside of the room like what are you guys all doing it's
2: you know i think it changes a lot depending on where you are in the process where you are in the season um but you you are usually just putting cards up somewhere (laughs) i mean you're talking about scenes uh you're blue skying them you know and then suddenly you have to actually put pen to paper and and put down a card
0: somewhere what is your schedule like? Because we, in our room, we would come in at 10. We would have a little coffee break at around 1115, just because people's brains started to die around then. And so it's like, all right, let's take a coffee break. And then we went until, I think, 1. So 1115 to, say, 1130, 11. 1145. 11. We'd come back 1145 to 1. We'd take an hour to an hour and a half lunch break and then come back until 3. So we barely worked. <laughs> What it your felt brain
1: like. started to die after an hour and 15 <laughs> yes, minutes.
0: In Zoom, it's so different than being in a regular room. So, what were your hours like in an actual room?
2: You're breaking story from 10 to 1 ish. You're breaking for lunch. Then you're back on it too and you're breaking story until 5. That's like semi standard, I think, uh, in person. Um, and it can always go longer and especially during production, but that, that was my experience.
1: What was the longest night you've had? Midnight. We were on a
2: deadline for the uh, Bible for a uh, Magic Order. Oh.
0: So that's the schedule. In both of my rooms, we had a Bible that we worked off of. Was that the case with your rooms, Monty? I
2: think on all of my rooms, we had a version of a Bible that we had to rewrite for, you know, network notes.
0: Okay. So you had one coming in, but the Bible itself was part of the process of the room. Correct. Or revising it. Yep. Got it. So in, in Witcher, our showrunner had a Bible that had like character descriptions, his inspiration for the show, the themes he wanted to play with, some of the rules of the world, and then summaries of all the episodes. And that's essentially what I also came into the room with with Tomb Raider. And it's interesting because both of us were like, we just kind of made this up. Like, this is just stuff we had to write to get to the studio so we mm-hmm. can get approved for the writer's room. And then once we get into the writer's room, like, let's break it open if we, if we need to. But the beauty, I think, of starting a writer's room with a Bible is now it's just out in front of you. You can't you as a writer coming in know that okay this is the general arc of the season these are the general characters I get to play with and it just cuts the line in terms of of brainstorming and I've heard this is like a myth to me because I've never experienced it myself but you know writers have come into rooms frequently where there is no Bible or if there was a Bible because the showrunner need needed it to get their their room greenlit. When they actually get to the room, they refuse to let any of the writers read the Bible because they want to start from scratch because the Bible was just their tool to get the show sold. And that's terrifying to me because where do you start?
1: (laughs) I think that's awesome. I love that. I I would do the same thing. I'd be like, hey, I tricked everyone. My show's (laughs) a go. Now just fucking write something else.
0: That's the lost way. J.J. Abrams.
1: That is uh, strategic, but
2: it's yeah, it's kind of terrifying.
0: Because, as Moni said, he mentioned there's a blue sky period, and that's usually for us. Moni is about two weeks. What is it usually for your rooms?
1: Yeah, yeah, I'd say two to three weeks, definitely. What what is it? Blue sky period.
0: It's the brainstorm phase. Yeah. Yeah.
1: What if there's a smoke monster? What if there's a hatch?
0: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. It feels like that's the period where you come in, people have read your Bible or whatever it is. If if you don't have a Bible, it's the showrunner telling you what they kind of want the show to generally be. And then it's, let's start the conversation. For example, hey, I know this is about time travel and a kid mm. who goes back in time to save his parents, but I'm not <laughs> entirely sure what he's saving them from. So let's talk about that.
1: You know what I love about screenwriting? Like, they have, we have all these, these terms that you can use to make it sound like you're being productive when you're actually not doing anything where it's like, oh, I'm in the blue sky period right now. Just give me a, give me a beat. oh, my, my spec is just kind of kicking around out there. Just, you know, we're, we're working on stuff. I'm just breaking some story. I fucking love this industry.
0: It's funny you say that because i've known plenty of tv writers who have you know gone through the blue sky day and they come home and they're like oh i'm so exhausted i can't do anything i just have to go to bed <laughs> so oh my i mean like
1: it's just daydreaming
2: it's... also i think the first time my wife heard the term like breaking story she was like you broke it like why did you do <laughs> like she thought it was something like something
1: went wrong
0: gotta put it back together
1: well, that that's that's a perfect kind of segue into you know what is breaking a story i mean i think we all know but just uh, i think we all know what breaking story is but uh what is it well, let's give another uh, webster's a definition
0: yeah i think after you do the big sky period of just riffing on all of these big ideas that you want to have in the show and maybe you're putting up those cards or you're writing those things on the board um breaking the, the episodes is really it's it just means brainstorming them and starting to put them into place. It's the opposite of what the word is. You're actually fixing the episode. (laughs) You're fixing it up. You're starting to put cards up on the board. I mean, let's talk about cards because money. we use a program called Miro Uh that um, is meant to replicate a whiteboard, essentially, and we just put up what looks like little post-its on the entire board. And um, so, like, let's just say we're breaking episode two in our Season. Then we'll have an, a box that says Episode Two. We'll have an Act One, Two, and Three kind of labeled on the side of that box. And then whoever is in control of the board, because usually, and I think this is the case in real rooms where you have someone actually go up who's designated as the writer. There's only one person who has the the whiteboard marker, and they're the one who's meant mm-hmm. to go up and write. And that's the same thing with virtual, where we have one person who's usually the assistant or the showrunner who's doing the Miro board. And they're like, okay, what's the first beat? of episode one. All right, let's put up a note card that says Josh grabs his mic, plugs it into his computer, and starts up the Act 2 podcast. That's the first scene.
2: In person, um, I don't think we ever had, uh, you know, a a column labeled Act 1, Act 2, Act 3. It was just kind of like, obviously, this is the first act. You know, this is where the cards go. But, yeah, very, very similar and uh, always color-coordinated to... The different storylines.
0: Meaning by character.
2: Yeah, usually. Like Swamp Thing is greens. Like it's always a green card. So you can just look at a board and you can see how many beats a certain character has and be like, oh, you know, that one's kind of lacking a little bit. Like, should we give him some love?
0: Yeah, I think that's really smart. And you're right. Like, I that's honestly the most helpful thing takeaway for me that I've brought to my own writing is having multicolored cards that way because. It absolutely means you can just glance across the room at the board and be like, oh, Swamp Thing only has three scenes and two of them are kind of coupled really close together. That's not proper pacing. I need to move that around and I need to give him more scenes because he's our main character. So color coding becomes super important for that.
1: Absolutely. I was going to talk about like just pitching ideas in the room. I would like the, the scene set because in particular, like, are you sitting there? unaware that it's like being in school you might be called on they're gonna be like monty give us an idea in one minute i'm gonna come i'm gonna circle back to you and i'm gonna fucking need a, a third act idea from you it's different for every
2: show i think you know with the what the show winner, exactly how they want you to pitch but i'd say usually there's like a directive and but there's also just pitching you know rolling off riffing off of one another and and um it, it just kind of you know, yeah. pitches, accruing pitches and um, the whole room as a whole.
1: You're just kind of spitballing, collaborating with each other. Tasha says something and I'm like, you know what? Yeah. And also, what if this happens or what if that happens?
0: It's basically spitballing, right? So it could be so like, hey, this is who I think the villain is. This is the backstory that I think the villain, this is me, the showrunner talking And this is the kind of the backstory that I'm thinking for them. But what if the backstory was actually like he's from another planet and he's actually not from Earth? Like, is that interesting? And then the room would think about it and Monty might be like, it is interesting because if he comes from another planet, that means he, it'll, he'll be a fish out of water when he comes down to Earth. And like that could be cool. And that could inspire Josh to be like, yeah, like we could have all these really fun moments where he's a fish out of water and this, this and this happens. And that's essentially pitching. So, and also, a showrunner can can pose direct questions in a room, or can just be like, you know, like guys, I like really think there should be a set piece with a crocodile in this episode, but I can't quite figure out like how to get to it. Like, do you think that that would even work? And now it's okay, like how do we figure out how to make a crocodile work? You know, or if a crocodile doesn't work, who's going to be brave enough to tell the showrunner, I don't think a crocodile set piece is going to work here? Um, so it's a lot of that back and forth, and. I'm curious what the dynamic has been in your rooms. And I've been very lucky where our dynamic has all been very respectful. And so over Zoom, there's not a lot of crosstalk. As soon as someone talks, if, if they just so happen to talk over each other, it'd be like, okay, I'm sorry, you go first. No, you go first. Mm-hmm. And then people will go. And if it's a if it's a bad idea, zero people will say so they'll just be like, oh, it's, yeah, I think that's really interesting. I, so many times people have had bad ideas. and It's been like, oh, that's really interesting. I kind of think like, I wonder if this actually would happen instead. So there's a huge respect that goes on with everyone. But I know that's not always the norm.
2: Yeah, I mean, uh, my experience, uh, people were mostly respectful. Um, I, I can recall an instance where um, it was a, a writer's assistant was pitching too much. Um, and, and kind of sometimes over, uh, an upper level, mid to, mid to upper level writer. Um, What does that
0: mean? Sometimes over them would talk over them or disagree with them openly,
2: would step on them. Yeah. would step on their pitches and, uh, you know, not saying that your pitches is is wrong or bad, but just the respect, you know, the the respect lines were crossed. Hmm. So and then and then that uh, upper level writer uh, lashed out uh, one day and there was oh. kind of a you know there was kind of a an in the room uh, war of words.
1: Hmm. Wow. So it's like, hey man, shut the fuck up, keep talking <laughs> over me. Yeah. Irrespectful. I and mean, then do you d- does the room take a break after that? Or are you like? Uh,
2: so the room did stop because the writer's PA came in with lunch and it was just perfect timing. And then uh, the the person in question walked out. So <laughs> well,
0: how did the showrunner handle that situation? Because the showrunner is essentially meant to be the manager of the room.
2: Showrunner was not present. Ah, showrunner was uh, on set.
0: Got it. So was this upper level person running the room?
2: In that moment, actually, I think they were. Yes.
0: This was another topic I wanted to talk about was hierarchy. I've never quite experienced it in my rooms. I've been very lucky where the showrunner made it very clear that, look, the writer's assistants are going to be pitching. Uh, We didn't know anyone's titles, really, until quite late in the room. So no one knew who the upper level writer was. You can kind of tell who had a bit more experience just by the way they presented themselves, but again, because everyone was respectful, no one talked over each other, and the higher level writers were a hundred percent okay when our assistant spoke up and and pitched an idea, and would even be like, "That's a great idea. How about we add on to it with this or whatever that is." And I think that's now been the model for me, and I've sort of extended that into my room as well. But I know that there's very strict hierarchy sometimes in rooms um, where I don't know if I've told this story of the podcast, but have heard a story. So this is like third hand for me of yeah, right. a showrunner who, <laughs> this, is, this happened in my room. No, of a <laughs> showrunner who who told their writer's assistant that they couldn't sit at the same table as everyone else, that they had to sit on the floor. So this stuff is happening. Have you ever experienced anything like that in your rooms? Or um,
2: the floor thing is is pretty wow. But uh, no, I mean, uh, I I have heard of the writer's assistant having to sit at a separate table in a corner. It's like a very like, just, you know, official thing. Like they can't sit at the writer's table because they're not a writer. Uh, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know. Oh gosh.
0: Have there ever been rules either verbally or non-verbally spoken that said if you are a writer's assistant this is how you participate if you are a staff writer which is the lowest level this is how you participate and then on and on so that because one of the big things people told me when i was first starting was as a staff writer be very careful like don't don't talk unless talked to a, a kind of and that I had this sense of fear that I'm not supposed to be participating in this conversation. Um, How do you feel like that hierarchy is portrayed when you first, or conveyed, I should say, when you first go into a room?
2: Uh, Yeah. I mean, it's definitely all the tone set by the showrunner as with most things. And um, my experience has been the showrunner has always said, Hey, assistants, uh, by the way, this is not one of those rooms where you're going to, you know, Lashed out at like you. You can pitch um, if you feel you know. Best idea wins. Uh, we're all about just getting a good story down, and it doesn't matter who you know where that comes from.
0: And you've never heard the the reverse.
2: Oh, I, I've I've heard the reverse. Oh, sure.
0: What I does that look like? Because I'm it. how one responds to that, and and how it looks. So, what does that look like if that happens to you?
2: You have to walk on pins and needles, I guess. Um, you, you know, you have to adapt and. Try to prove yourself to the showrunner when you when you can speak up.
0: Will a showrunner literally say you? We I don't want you to talk during the writers' room.
2: I think they might. Depends on the showrunner. There are some dicks out there, but probably they would just be. You have to read the room. You know, mm-hmm. there will probably just be either an awkward pause <laughs> or some kind of you know gesture that says maybe not right now.
0: Is the gesture like? Right across the neck.
1: You will be sentenced to death. It's interesting because so much of this is is having a feel for people. You know, like even it sounds like, and not having been in a room, but it sounds like you know you're you're around people, so you're going to kind of feed off of certain people. And if the energy's there and the creativity's there, and you, you feel like you can pitch, you can pitch if you're in one of those rooms where, you know, the showrunner is just kind of taking charge and he's, you can tell he or she is going to tell you to be a little bit quiet. You just kind of have to feel it out. Right. Like Mm. there's, there's almost like a smoothing period within the first couple days of, of getting in a room. Definitely. Yeah. I think,
2: you know, I mean, it's all about the vibe. Um, And that's something that in zoom rooms, I think, uh, you know, that, that they really struggle with that because how are you going to, you know, sense anything when you just have these, tiny little boxes at the top of your yeah. screen
1: is it uh is it true tasha to set your vibe you would send people uh like gifts and like welcome them into the zoom room
0: i i have yeah i do and that's what
1: wait what i, I was do. just making that up no, I,
0: do. I was like how did you know that do we talk about
1: that well <laughs> predicting I, how did you do that josh we've been doing this podcast for a long time <laughs>
0: Yeah, no, I there's a welcome gift that comes to you. Like welcome to the room. Thank you for joining us. We love you. You're part is, of the team wow. now.
2: That is a very nice showrunner thing to do and the and it, I'm I'm so happy to hear that you do that.
0: Is that yeah. not? Is that not normal?
2: <laughs> it's never happened to me doesn't mean it doesn't happen. But.
1: <laughs> but no, it's it sounds like also just kind of giving the Climate of the world and just having social media and the way that people talk is like the uh, authorian like the the hard nosed showrunner is kind of not on its way out, but it's being phased as, out. Uh, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It seems that way, right?
0: I hope so. But showrunners have so much power um, that I imagine it might be difficult for executives to know exactly what goes on in the room on in the room. That's true. Um, especially because they are the only, like, usually the sole point of contact with the executives, um, in the studio. All right. Let's move on and talk about writing schedule because I, this was very interesting to me once I got into the room. Um, so something that James Stoddero talked about when we interviewed him a couple weeks ago, he's the executive producer on Batwoman, Legend of the Seeker, a bunch of other stuff. He said, mm-hmm. one of the big things that film school doesn't teach you is deadlines because Part of that is they give you so long to write scripts in college. For me, it was like two features by the end of your time here. It's like two. Mm -hmm. And TV, you have to churn out scripts so quickly, which is part of what terrified me. I was like, I don't think I can actually handle a TV job, especially coming from features. So... Let's talk about the schedule for a second. The schedule isn't just a willy nilly thing, right? It comes from a very deliberate process. The showrunner meets with the production executive and together they come up with the writing schedule because the production executive, they sort of have the overall view of when things need to be delivered to the network for the show to actually air on time. So. Um, in my case for the show, it's like when we need to hire an animation company, when we need to start the animatics. So all those dates are kind of plugged in already. And then it's like, okay, Tasha, where does your writer's room fit into that? And they sit with me and we go, okay, well, I actually kind of need a little bit more time to do my blue sky thinking. In my case, I had no idea what season two was zero idea. No idea if we're going to the moon. I didn't know. (laughs) So I was like, I need more than one week, which is what they allotted me. I need two. And so now we start building out this writer schedule. But at the end of the day, and Monty, tell me if this is different for you. I'm curious because this has been kind of my only experience is that we get the two week blue sky period. And then if you are a writer who gets assigned an episode, which usually I found out it's everyone kind of above staff writer level who gets assigned an episode. Is that right?
2: Well, uh, I I would say everyone, I mean, it. I've, but we had longer, I mean, you know, 10 to 13 episode mm. seasons, so there were, you know, usually enough writer per, you know, the writer per episode count was correct.
0: Okay. So we, what it, what seems to be common on on smaller order shows, so like our show for Witcher, for instance, was, uh, I think, six episodes, um, and then for Tomb Raider, it's eight episodes. And so... Not everyone gets assigned a script, basically. And the hierarchy for writers in the room, correct me if I'm wrong, um, is staff writer, then story editor, then executive story editor, then co-producer, producer, Producer? executive producer. Is there an associate producer somewhere? (laughs) Or is that a different job? Uh,
2: I I haven't seen an associate producer in a while, Um, like
1: in a room, but... Yeah, I'm, it could be.
0: Yeah. Um, Wait. So, tip.
1: Hang on, guys. Have you not experienced that? Like,
0: well, like was, I said, in was- my old room, I didn't know anyone's titles. We didn't oh, share right, those right, right. with each other. So. No, this is this is a
2: total like. I feel like in production, I mean, you know, everyone's title immediately because like hierarchy is like such a thing, and in a writer's room, it's like this weird, like magical room where it's just a bunch of people sitting around and uh, no, no one's ever, you know, what's your title? You
0: know what I mean? And yeah. yet you, there's also a weirdly strict hierarchy in some rooms. So that's very confusing. Regardless, if you're a, a staff writer who's been assigned an episode, your schedule will look something like this. You'll get one week to break your episode, which that means you can that's your brainstorming period. You get a whole week to figure out what beats what scenes are going where in your episode. Once that's done, you get a week to write your outline. And in the meantime, you're kind of also expected to tend the room at least for a few hours. For us it was the writer who's writing their outline would come for the first half of the day, so the first few hours in the morning. And I think if your showrunner is mean, they expect you to come the whole time and then just write for yourself uh, after hours then you turn your outline into the writers' room first and they'll take maybe a couple days to read it and then you go scene by scene and you take their notes and then after that you have a few days to revise that outline based on your writers' notes before you then turn it into the studio and or network so for tomb reader i always send my stuff first to the studio which is legendary and that includes also my creative producers and then they give me notes. Then once I revise the outline based on their notes and that gets approved by them, then it goes to the network, which is Netflix, um, which is the place that will eventually distribute it. Then you get your network notes and then you have to address those. Then you finally have a few days to turn in your final outline. That's that's the whole thing for the outline. And then that just repeats for the script basically, and then all during this time, again, you'll be expected to probably go into the room for at least a few hours a day to help other people brainstorm their episodes and so on. And then it gets staggered like this for every person who has an episode. Has that been your experience too, or has it been longer or shorter?
2: Pretty similar, although uh, it it wasn't, uh, the, the showrunner usually did a pass right after receiving, you know, whatever it was, whatever piece of material it was from the writer, Um, and wasn't necessarily flipping it to the room for notes every now and then. If, if a draft came in that was maybe, you know, really bad, then they would, um, Mm. but for the most part it was writer pass, showrunner pass studio.
0: Oh, interesting. Was that a time reason, like just deadlines or was that just showrunner preference?
2: Yeah. I mean, everything was pretty tight, so I can't say. If what you know, if if it was, if, I think it could it could be both actually
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: could have been their preference as well.
0: Also, for animation, it's it's a little bit different. Um, my show is a twenty-two minute episode show, so that actually our time gets kind of cut in half. So instead of one week to break an episode and outline an episode, we would have only one week to break two episodes and outline two episodes. So it goes. A bit longer. And then curious what your outlines were. So your show was an hour long, right? Yeah, all all
2: hour longs. And yeah, seven-ish days um, for an outline. And then I'd say like uh, 10 10 to 14 for a draft.
0: Okay, so you got two weeks. And then how long would you say the outlines typically are in an hour long?
2: Seven to 10 pages.
0: That's... Mine were like eight to 10 pages for 22
1: episodes. <laughs> Dang. Yeah.
2: Well, there's a lot Can of I drama happening in the scene. A lot scene, of
0: you know? drama.
1: <laughs> Has, uh, have either of you missed your deadline for the outline?
0: I'm currently late on one of my episodes right now. Yeah. Don't
2: tell I think, anyone. I, I, think that, I think that happens every now and then. You know, I mean, you try to keep it to a minimum, but it's-, it's and what? But what it's happens a Is
1: the showrunner like, hey- the fuck monty
2: <laughs> well i think a lot of times the writer says hey i can give it to you now but it's going to be shit like could i have like yeah. two more days and the showrunner will <laughs> if especially if they're on set they'll say absolutely because you usually want a really good draft late that you don't have to take your time out of your day to work on than a shit draft that is going to put you back for a month
0: yeah mm-hmm. We're going to talk about in a second that bit of the process because I think that was really interesting and also a surprise for me how closely the showrunner works with and rewrites stuff. But taking a step back and speaking about the outlines in general, I'm curious what you found in your rooms, but it seemed it's a lesson that I have learned is that the outline is also a sales document. And while it feels like it should just be your blueprint to write the episode, it turns out it's really yet another document to make the studio really excited so that they'll approve for you to continue on to the script. And of course, they're going to continue on to the script. They're going to, they're going to approve it eventually because that's what, this writers room is for and that they, they've paid a lot of money for that but the outline if you if they keep getting giving notes on the outline suddenly you're behind so you you want this outline to be this exciting sales document to the studio and that felt really weird to me because i just thought it was going to be a blueprint for me myself and i and that was it
2: totally yeah i think that's that's very common it's it's i think on the studio side it's just to catch any glaring you know things that you know any any red flags
0: And I found, like, I had to make my outlines really readable and exciting versus maybe what I would just do for myself, which is just basic and no flair, because I wanted them to get excited about what the episode could be versus just seeing a very dull draft of an outline. So I would actually... Go back and do passes where I was taking out some exposition that I knew had to be in this in the episode, but I just didn't want to put it in the outline because I didn't want people to like slow down the read, or I didn't want them to get caught up on logic rules while reading the outline. Do you feel like you guys did that in your live action hour long shows, or was it more of a blueprint kind of language?
2: More of a blueprint. We did. We did have like an exec that would say. Uh... <laughs> I might just be reading it wrong and maybe in the draft it'll come through because this is just a blueprint, right? But, and then give the note.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And that happened so frequently that we started just saying, yeah, no, you're right. It, it, it'll be better in the draft. We're not.
1: <laughs> I was going to ask that if you add your voice basically to the the outlines and it sounds like that's not something that's frowned upon, huh? You can do it, Tasha?
0: I do it. That's why I'm asking Monty, because I'm curious if other people do it.
1: <laughs> yeah, I feel like you would have to add. I mean, that would be my, my, my take on it, too. Otherwise, it's like, where's the fun in this?
0: Yeah. I wanted the outline to read like the script would read, which is to have yeah. the fun moments, have the down, sad moments, and all of that pacing, too.
2: Yeah, and that part can be for you, you know, to, you know so that when, you, when you're sitting down to actually write the draft, you have a little bit of that going on.
0: Yeah. All right. Let's talk about, I think the, what was the biggest surprise for me was in a writer's room. This is something that every season TV writer knows, apparently, which I did not going in, is that you are going to be rewritten. You just are. You will turn in your outline, as Moni said, and the showrunner will rewrite it before turning it into the network or studio. The same goes for your script. And that is just how it goes. And you cannot take it personally. So, for example, and this is why this happens, and I think this was the biggest lesson for me is thinking about, you know, just get getting rid of ego, you know, that, that to me is also a big do or don't when we get to that part of the conversation of what to do when you're coming into a writer's room is don't have an ego because this is going to happen to you. So like on Tomb Raider, for example, my number two writer is amazing, and she turned in her script, and it was great, but because I... Am having all of these day to day conversations with production and casting and animation, I know kind of the overall sweeping issues that have to be paid attention to and also what the pace of the entire show is looking like and how the scenes need to be structured to the best effect, which is all just a perspective that the showrunner has that. Any writers in the room just cannot have because that's just not the way the room is structured. Um, and I think in live action that ends up getting more intense, right? Where you're having like these huge budget changes that only the showrunner knows about, or location changes. I mean, what are some of the stories you've had to have that <laughs> required big rewrites? Uh,
2: the, I I won't I won't give away the show, but there was a car going in a swamp, <laughs> and it was a thing that had to be rewritten. Because uh, it was very expensive, it was apparently very, very expensive to show a car going in a swamp. Um, I guess I I don't remember. I don't remember the reason. You had to take the engine out. You had to take a lot of things out. You had to make it very safe.
0: Was that in the outline, though?
2: Yeah, it was actually all the way to draft. I think, Mm. and it was supposed to go off a bridge into the swamp, and had to change it to to just a, a jumping off a bridge. Um, so that was a sad day. Yeah. Um, <laughs> sad day. shit happens in production and you just have to rewrite it. And, and the whole writer's room was just depressed for like a week about that. But, uh, oh. that's, that's the well, way it goes.
1: That's a really interesting point. Uh, just about having ego, because I could see that being a writer and you're like, why the fuck is Tasha rewriting me? And it, you just have so many things you're processing. That it's just good to know that the showrunner is getting all this information that you don't know, and it's just too much to even talk about. So just fucking trust me, and I'm going to rewrite you. It's not because you're bad. It's because it's what needs to be done.
0: Yeah, and that's what it is. And what I have found my rewriting of other writers' stuff has been like is more about tightening things and executing them um, quicker rather than changing anything because we all agree on this outline you've hired writers who are talented that's not the problem it's again just i have a perspective that they don't and i also encourage my writers to put as much as is in their imagination on the page because we can always pare back but i can't mm-hmm. and, like it's harder to add right so like sometimes writers might be a little nervous to go a little all out on a set piece or um describing a scene or if they go into you know a new temple or something like what does that actually look like a writer might be a little nervous to paint the the full picture because if they paint this full picture then maybe it's too much and you'll be upset but i'm like write write it big and then i can always yeah. take it down if i need to um, and that's the fun part about working with another writer who's kind of translating that outline for you already is that they have so many cool ideas that you just didn't even think of to begin with and you're, you're working with like, you know, amazing clay. I don't have a better metaphor. No, it's great. Yeah. <laughs> uh,
2: uh, you, I mean, you can't be precious at all. Um, and, you know, there, there are a lot of uh, feature writers uh, coming into TV right now. And I think that's one of the things they struggle with because, you know, they've had their babies all their lives. And uh, this is just, you know, you write something one day, it's completely different the next yeah. But you still have a job and you still get to write something that day, you know?
0: Yeah. Well, let's let's kind of wrap up with the do's and don'ts because I think that's a good segue of how to behave in a writer's room and kind of what those expectations are. Um, I think my first one is just be respectful of everyone, which is what we've kind of talked about. That just creates the best... Um, safe space for everyone because we're all giving ideas. And as we know, as writers, that's a very vulnerable place to be in. <laughs> so, like, the more respectful you are of everyone, the safer people are going to feel with giving their many bad and good ideas.
2: My, mine aren't, you know, so general. I just have, like, sometimes there's that person that says, uh, Oh, that pitch was mine. Uh, you know, when, when it's called back later, mm. um, don't be that person. It just, try to keep the room moving and you could be that person, you know, for someone else and say, uh, yes, uh, Josh, Josh pitched that yesterday. And that's, that's a much better way to to go about that situation. Yeah.
0: I also think that's related to the leave your ego at the door bit, because at the end of the day, this is not, you writing a script for because you're so amazing and it's your script. It's this is a team effort. We are together teaming up to create a show that the showrunner is then going to go on and kind of sort of shepherd into existence. It's and I think even have there were many times in the room where someone didn't acknowledge that my idea was the idea. They would just pitch off of it almost as if that was their idea and you just let it go because Mm Who cares? <laughs> does it doesn't matter. At the end of the day, yeah. the idea is the idea. It does not matter if it's yours or not.
1: Yep. So it seems like a lot of do's and don'ts, at least from my perspective, are just kind of like common sense. Is, are there any, um, any hidden do's and don'ts in there? If you're a staff writer,
2: I think in the first two weeks, I would, I would just say be very cognizant of yourself. Don't, don't go crazy. And observe the dynamics of the room because that is what you need to play into. You're there to fill the holes, you know, fill the, um, you know, the the weaknesses that are in the room, and you be you be a strength to those weaknesses. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you can come out guns blazing and be taken, uh, you know, on the it, it, you would get off on the wrong foot with a showrunner possibly. Um, if you sit back and Observe and then execute. Once you have that knowledge, uh, I think you're much better off down the road in the long term.
1: Let me ask you a random in person question. When you sit down at the table, do you sit at the same seat every day? Is it kind of like something that becomes known over time? Totally. Uh, And and then high school cafeteria.
2: And then one person will sit in someone else's seat just to mix it up and see their reaction. And then sometimes they'll say, okay, fine, I'm sitting in so-and-so's seat. And then the whole room is rearranged. But sometimes you, you get in ruts and it actually helps. Like, you know, like, oh, I'm going to sit over here today. See the view from over here. <laughs> Do
1: you silence your cell phone?
2: Yes, I think you should. Uh, I, 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 don't, I don't remember a, a lot of cell phones going off in person
0: is it a faux pas to eat at the table. Why are all my questions about snacks?
1: <laughs> no. No, I was going to ask the exact same thing. I was going to say can you drink and eat all the time?
2: It's what re- it's 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 what writers do other than write. I mean, it's like the most <laughs> precious thing to a TV writer like you can get you can take their children, you can take their wives and their husbands, but you can even pay them like not on time, but if you get in between their Mendocino Farm Salad, like they'll rip your head off.
0: <laughs> Which is a sad thing about a virtual room is you don't get snacks, you don't get lunch paid for. What they did do for us at Netflix was they gave us a, a weekly stipend for us to go buy lunch ourselves. Though really, it didn't quite. In LA, that's not going to be yeah. enough to <laughs> so buy lunch for seven days for five days a week. Uh, Here's eight
1: dollars. Yeah.
0: <laughs> go crazy. Have fun. Are there any other, like, like uh, Josh, sort of mystery questions you feel like exist around the room?
1: I don't think so. I think it all makes sense to me. You walk in, you feel people out, you get a vibe, you kind of figure out your place, you leave your fucking ego at the door, and uh, you don't speak over people. Simple. And just do things on time. You make it sound so easy. So easy.
0: Why are we stressing out about this?
1: Why are we even talking about this? <laughs> this is
0: <a> dumb episode. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah. So, unless there's anything else we feel like we need to talk about, I'll wrap things up with our quote of the day.
1: Wrap it up, Tasha.
0: The amount of control for a playwright is almost infinite, but in film, you're the lowest form of life. So that was half the job of directing, was not letting someone else come in and fuck it up. Then the other half is to learn how the hell you actually do it, which is another kettle of fish. Martin McDonough, one of my favorite directors. (laughs) All right, please remember to rate and subscribe. Follow us at Act 2 Writers for more awesome writing stuff. Make sure you follow us. At Story Thursday on Instagram, at Act Two Writers on Instagram, on Twitter at Tasha 3.0 to get more information about Monty and the upcoming Act Two mentorship with Coverfly. You can also follow Monty
1: at the Monty Bennett. Hey, that's the, the Bennett. Monty Bennett. The one and
2: freaking only Big, I, <laughs> but I'm not because that's why I had to put the, the there. <laughs>
0: mm. Screw those other Monty's.
1: The second and second only. (laughs) And Joshua? Oh, yeah. I'm on uh, social media as well. Joshua Hallman on Twitter and Josh Hallman on Instagram.
0: And as always, the Act Two podcast is a production of Act Two, a network and support group for the everyday working screenwriter. This episode was edited by Paul Lundquist. God bless him. Music by (laughs) 414Bag, which you can find
1: on Spotify. (laughs) We love you, Paul.